this word, this idea of participation for me, it kind of cuts through all of the abstractions. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I think it is the central call and invitation of all of these conversations, at least that I've been having, is to be like, look, you are alive. Mm -hmm. This is your chance. What you do matters. Participate. Participate Mm -hmm. in your life. Participate in the world. Like that is it. There's so much of our system that is hell-bent on making us forget that we are participants. They want us to think that we're consumers or voters Mm -hmm. or something else. We are Mm -hmm. participants here on this world and we can make a sacred world or we can live in a flat world or we can live in the materialist world, we get to participate in that in any case. Welcome to the next episode of Voice Club. My name is Tim Adelin, and this is a conversation with Daniel Thorson. Daniel is the host of the Emerge podcast, which has become a really, really pivotal podcast i think for collating a whole range of really interesting thinkers it tracks the themes of civilizational collapse and what we can do about that from the point of civilization design but importantly it also brings that element of personal transformation how we can transform ourselves and in so doing transform the world it's not looking at it from an either or perspective it's very much from a mode of we are deeply involved in the world and how we develop ourselves is also inherently related to the systems we interact with and also therefore how we can make the world. Suffice to say that's a way of thinking that also resonates strongly with this project and ultimately with the philosophical outlook that underlies some of our exploration here and also many of the conversations in this project. Now there are two parts to this conversation and the first part is mostly an outside-in look at what Daniel's taken to emerge so far on his podcast inquiry, which I think is really interesting. But the the second part is, to me, even more interesting. It certainly felt that way to engage in. It's much closer to the core impulse of this project, which is to really engage in transformative conversations, perhaps those from an inside-out perspective, really feeling your way into a philosophical exploration. We talk about omni-win and how to understand it, whether or not it should in fact be understood as an omni-growth way of conceptualizing systems, interaction. You know, when is it appropriate to lose? Is it a good thing to lose? We also talk about soul-making and the deep importance of participation, but most of all it's a dialogue that flowed and one that, well, I, I hope, I hope, I hope you find interesting and I hope actually that it can be inspirational to some of you who are looking to involve yourself more in in the world, but from a perspective where you can do so really grounded in yourself. And there's a lot to say there. In a certain mode of listening and in a certain mode of expression, in relationship, self seems to reveal itself, reveals itself other ways too. It can be a beautiful thing and Yes. So Daniel introduces himself shortly. He lives in a monastery. It's called the Monastic Academy. It's based in Vermont. And fundamentally, the Monastic Academy, as Daniel describes it, as they describe their own mission, is for the preservation of life on earth, which is an exceptionally heavy load and um, seems to me necessary. But it's a big thing to sit with. So, yeah, I... We'll see you very shortly. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening as a podcast, remember to subscribe and hit the bell to track upcoming releases. All right, Daniel Thorson, thank you so much for for being here and entering into this conversation with me. Yeah, pleasure to speak with you. I've really enjoyed our conversations. Yeah. I have been following your work for, I think, possibly around around about a year, oh. uh, give or take a few months, I think. All of a sudden, things start to blur a little bit when it comes to tracking so many of the elements within 
some sort of subculture that I think we share a, a mutual interest in. Certainly you are, a, to me, a really key player in uh, bringing together really interesting voices and adding to the discussion in a meaningful way. And what I'm hoping today to talk about is what you see that discussion as, like how you've seen it emerge. Of course, your podcast is called Emerge. So perhaps, you know, if you could take a few moments just to introduce yourself briefly and then also talk about what you're doing and then we can go into perhaps what you see emerging. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, so yeah, I guess that the, the short kind of current bio is, as you said, I, I host a podcast called Emerge. It's been going on for about two and a half years or so, although I took a little break in there somewhere. And I also live at a place called the Monastic Academy, where I train full-time in a kind of monastically inspired training center where we spend a lot of time in silent meditation. We do a practice called circling. We do trauma healing. We do like pure coaching. And uh, here I'm doing that training. And then I'm also helping design a new curriculum, attempting to kind of ground some of the ideas I've been exploring on my podcast into an educational context. Mm. try to train people for the kind of world that I think both you and I sort of hope is coming, see coming, you know, want to, want to help nudge into being. Right. That's kind of the short bio. And then, yeah, the podcast, man, it's hard to say what it is. I think, you know, I started it because there were certain conversations that I wanted to hear. I've always listened to podcasts for like, you know, much of my adult life. It's been a major way that I've learned. And I kept waiting for certain conversations that eventually I was like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm, I can have them. Maybe I'm the one to have them. And so I started having them. And really it was the reason I chose the word emerge as the title was because I wanted a brand that was broad enough to include anything that I was interested in. Because mm -hmm. I had seen a, a friend of mine become almost like victimized by his brand because he used it to explore something that he's really passionate about at the time but then kind of fell out of love with. And it was really difficult for him. And so I basically used it as an excuse to just talk to people about what I was interested in and just kept following that thread, following that thread. And um, yeah, so I've had lots of really interesting conversations around diversity of topics, many of which I think you're exploring on your podcast as well, and have found my way into this weird little subculture that, yeah, as you acknowledge, like we both kind of find ourselves in as yeah. a beginning form. Yeah. Yeah. I can certainly relate to wanting to have a broad enough scope so that you can be free to follow what's relevant as it comes up. What struck me then as you were talking actually is, yes, what's emerging is so interesting and that gives you the scope. But a key thing that you often discuss is sort of what occurs before emergence often and that's <laughs> sort of decomposition. True. And so it's got that part to it too. How would you describe the environment or what what sort of conversation were you looking for that just wasn't occurring hmm. yeah I, I i don't i don't know that i could articulate it originally um really it was following a felt sense some kind of desire some kind of like eros in relationship right. to certain types of conversation and as you say like when i describe there were some college students here for a retreat this last weekend and I was asked in front of them, like, to describe what my podcast is about. And I don't know where they're all from. You know, they're college students, right. what their kind of ideolo ideological commitments are, whatever. And I just said the podcast, the kind of thesis of the podcast is something like, or inquiry of the podcast is something like, the world is falling apart. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's, and that's really kind of it, right? That's sort of the idea is that there is this dis disintegration, this falling apart, the senescence of so many of the aspects of the world that I think for a long time we've taken for granted, or I mean, not a long time, you know, cosmically, but, you know, in recent history. And, and that is both needs to be acknowledged, right? We need to acknowledge that dissolution, but also see that, as you say, it clears a space for something new to emerge and kind of trying to sort of sniff out the the pheromones of that emergence as it's occurring live on this planet right now yeah partly as a hope to just to see it but then also right. perhaps to kind of 
facilitate its unfolding. Right. At least to be in touch with it so that you can orient in a way that is authentic and for some in, in the direction of love. Right. And that's, and that's true too, right? Like it's like, it's a little bit, um, like I say, like I'm following what's emerging, you know, but also like what's emerging is like the alt-right and the rise of authoritarian governments, but I'm not really covering that. I'm not trying to focus on that. I have some kind of moral commitment that colors and isolates, constrains my inquiry, as you say, and it has to do with, yeah, wanting to build a future that we can actually be proud to live in. Yeah. What are the key themes? What are the elements of conversation that either surprised you that emerged or that were in fact, they sort of felt congruent with that initial felt sense of inquiry and have now become sort of really not concrete, but, you know, close to concrete pillars of how you describe the pheromones, as you said, of what is substantial to use as a basis for inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I like the way you put that. Yeah, it's nothing that I didn't feel was there at the beginning, but they've all kind of filled out, right? And so there's things like decentralized governments, governance, like whether it's distributed autonomous organizations or even things like Inspiral or Holacracy Mm. and sort of the, the, the emerging technology that might allow those to scale. There's systems science, complexity science, and in particular, the ability to kind of uh, see things in terms of flows that move in different ways are constrained by different factors. Uh, one thing that actually has kind of surprised me is um, for me, the, the inquiry around the importance of soul and soulfulness and soul making mm. that wasn't really on my radar before that. Of course, like the kind of relevance and significance of, of personal development and personal transformation in terms of how we can collectively meet the meta crisis and then, you know, different flavors of the meaning crisis, as John Verveke talks about it. I've, I've kind of broached that in a number of different ways. Right. Um, and then another theme is, of course, like kind of a letting go of the world that we've grown up with and the stories and like kind of narratives about what our lives ought to be that that civilizational operating system uh, gave gave to us which has been for me very painful and like a long process yeah and yeah i'm sure there are others but that's just kind of like some off the top of my head i mean we've also explored metamodernism and uh like integral and all that kind of yeah fun weird stuff yeah it's interesting the different communities different memes Hmm. that are clustered around whatever that broad area of inquiry is that you just articulated. If I was to put it into slightly other words, and I'm sure I'm leaving out crucial parts of it, but it's something like, how do we put together, synthesize or, or relate in a congruent, fluid way, the inner development and expression of individuality in a landscape of interconnection where we ourselves are complex agents having an effect on a complex multi-layered world Mm. and the meaning associated with what it is to express our authentic unfolding and evolution in that larger dynamic that itself is changing And so there's something quite meta about that. And so there is this meta element that I think sort of ties together a lot of these different communities, whether, you know, the meta modernists, which I'm not too familiar with, um, although I try to track it a bit, or of course you have those awesome co-founders of the Neurohacker Collective, (laughs) just (laughs) trailblazing what they're doing, (laughs) providing meta map after meta map and and Jordan Peterson actually as well was, he was, um, you know, his intellectual scaffolding was a meta theory of meaning. And of course, the integral theorists the same. And so there is this sense in which, you know, putting a, a sort of trying to find some fertile center ground is in some sense, not on the same plane, but raised something that is able to offer a perspective that 
is perhaps beyond dichotomies that are tired and not serving us. And that move towards transcending and including then obviously with the, with the famous integral phrase is a sort of basic scaffolding for transformation in general. And there's something that seems so on the pulse about that and it does seem to be so relevant and I'm so grateful for what you're doing and so many of the podcasts have been so interesting. So there is somewhere that I think would be interesting to for us to try and explore together and I want to see if I can set the stage for it. It's I hope I can I hope I can express the idea well enough. Mm. So I might begin by saying we're embedded in an interrelation of complex systems and some change quicker than others. Obviously our cells have a shorter lifespan than neurons and we live for so long, cities last for so long, generally speaking, governments, civilizations, the solar system species. And there's a sense in which what is meaningful is to engage in a certain kind of loving transformation towards some sort of, how we say, uh, stability, but also expression over time, some sort of fulfillment, some sort of whole making of one's own individual self in relationship to others all the time while elements of yourself and the world around you are moving at various cycles towards decay. And it's perhaps a, a task especially in the world that we wake up to right now, which is one where we have the capacity, at least to some degree, to reflect and to engage in abstraction and to watch this crazy dynamic of witnessing and being with and participating and then being disconnected <laughs> so that we can, in some sense, take a perspective. And, and that's something really worth talking about. But the idea might be, how do we... So an interesting avenue for exploration is at what level or which problems or which underlying systemic changes or which aspects of ourself are most in need of tending and shepherding a certain transformation as their time is right rather than before their time. Some things might serve us still for longer. There might be social aspects of our society now that we might come to see in a few hundred years time are not serving us then, but right now perhaps we're unaware of them or perhaps that's not the right place for someone's focus. We've noticed obviously the development of a certain morality over time and it seems inappropriate to look back at ancestors and just tar them all with a brush of being absolutely immoral. There was a sense in which everyone was responding to the dynamics of the time and the incentives of the time with the capacity they had and that. And so it becomes then crucial to consider just what of our nature is most in need of change and where I see this question being relevant is when it comes to the kind of conversation and the kind of points that let's say Daniel Schmachtenberger raises and that have become key parts of the emerging conversation which is to do I suppose with rivalrous dynamics and a certain win-lose attitude towards how we show up in the world in relationship with others and that's that is deep it's so deep and I'm, I'm not sure how deep I, I actually don't know how deep it might be so deep that that is all there is. I like it gets so deep where I'm like, OK, how at what level is this picked apart? Where where do we go to find ourselves in that? And so, you know, I began by saying with this question, I hope I can pose it properly. I don't have a full articulated question. I've tried to give a context of some things changing quickly and some things changing slowly and to be a sort of as elegant as possible about changing things. But we're at this point where things <laughs> need to change <laughs> in huge ways because consequences are so drastic. So I wonder what comes up for you there in terms of perhaps where you found some of the most fundamental underlying, the sort of the deep code, the deep programs that you feel are worthy to draw up into articulation as those that we ought take seriously from a point of real transformation? Hmm. Hmm. That's a beautiful question. I think um, 
I think one of the pieces of what you said that was most striking was kind of this question of what if it's rivalrous dynamics all the way down? And that's a really significant question. And a lot actually hinges on that, on that question. And I, I think we can, can kind of put a, put a bookmark in it, but just to say like the perspective of, in my opinion, like the Buddha Dharma and certainly the teacher here at the monastery is that in fact, there is, we might say like an omni-win foundation to consciousness that is kind of waiting to be overturned underneath the rivalrous. At least that's how kind of I understand it. Yeah. Um, and so that's important to at least imagine that might be true for any of this to actually work out in the long run in terms of like what needs to be transformed. I mean, it's, as you say, it's so hard to point to anything in particular. And, and I think uh, that is why like Jordan and Daniel really emphasize this capacity for sovereignty and choice making, right? Because if you try to learn or unlearn anything in particular, it's connected to everything else because everything is connected. And so you just don't know kind of what you're doing. And that's kind of how we got in the mess we're in, right? Like we didn't know when we made cars to solve the, the horseshit problem in cities and go faster that it would lead to war in the Middle East and climate change. And so like, we also have to, what we can do though, is take a look at, if we can find it, that which when increased or when worked on allows us to then respond skillfully in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, knowing that we don't know and everything is changing so quickly. Because that's certainly for me, like what I really try to like focus on is increasing my sovereignty, focusing on those capacities of choice making. Mm. Mm. But I, yeah, I don't really feel satisfied with that answer given, given the kind of quality that I felt with your, your question. Yeah. What comes to mind for me is that the question I asked is perhaps not the sort of question that the feeling of so total satisfaction in answering it would be appropriate, right? Mm. <laughs> because it, it's, it's precisely the kind of question that collective intelligence, let's hope, is capable of addressing in an ongoing fashion. It's so challenging because letting go of things is so difficult yeah well and and that's the other thing that comes to mind is if you're gonna work work on one thing i would say um come to terms with your own death mm -hmm. accept that you will die mm. not only will that prepare you to be of service but i think to the degree that we can make that movement of accepting our own death we can actually engage with this situation we find ourselves in with our like whole soul and our whole heart online. Yeah. Uh, like I was talking to Zach Stein, I was at, I was recording an episode with him yesterday and he said that, you know, one way to look at this is that we can put the soul as the, as the basis, as the primary thing. And then in that case, there are, we might imagine that it would be worse to lose your soul in the act of saving the organic world than it would be to let it pass and save your soul and, and nourish your soul, protect your soul. Obviously that's like a kind of like extreme, extreme position. And it's not like actually, but just to kind of emphasize a point. Right. And so like, that's something that I feel a lot too is in this whole world, this milieu, it's like, Oh, we got to like organize to save the planet from collapse. And it's like, well, how are you treating your loved ones, right? Like, what are your conversations and relationships like? Like, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the health of your soul? Mm. Right? Like, how is it? How is it? Like, it, it, as he said in the conversation, like, that's the real game. Like, game A, game B, like, yes, please. We need that. But also, like, don't forget, you know. Yeah. Something that I've found to be an expression one of the expressions of a bedrock place i found myself is the expression i will not violate my soul and that's 
non-negotiable. Yeah, I can detect that in, in being with you. It's actually a really like beautiful quality that you have. Mm. And the link I see between what that expression means, or at least part of what it means, and conversation is there's a straight link there up into the courage to step out and express what seems resonant. Yes. Yeah. And that seems to be one key piece of wisdom throughout the ages that underlies, I think, many of the salient figures and speakers and teachers of our time. So, uh, and it's and it accords with this fundamental truth of the unique quality and importance of every individual voice expression. It doesn't have to be verbal, of course, but that there is a role, that there is a uh, that there is a line of melody, that there is a part of the dance to participate in hmm. and if that is brought forth it it its change is well, I, I don't i don't know what its change is but it, it is involved yes yeah yes so there's something i want to track back to and draw up here and it relates back to this interplay of rivalrous dynamics and at what layer of the psyche a collective psyche perhaps biological substrate that, that it's embedded in and you know it's funny on this side of the conversation where i'm experiencing myself for this moment as putting the question forward it, it seems in so doing i am carving the world in such a way that leaves that is you know somewhat oppositional that there is this tension here and it's kind of breaking things up so that then perhaps we can move towards a, a witnessing or observing and then that process becomes a cycle that we can situate ourselves in as one and therefore that dualness that duality perhaps becomes as one and it's so it's it's, it's interesting that question question a dynamic and mm. The reason I say it is because actually I'm in some deeper sense that I can't express in the asking of the question. I believe and know that at core, due to the interconnected nature of things, that there is inherently a equal parts beautiful and tragic, but ultimately a dynamic that is transcendent of any like a, a sort of a final win-lose formulation hmm. however situating ourselves in relationship with that 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 nature that is there to be with at times but i know for my part i fall out of all the time and then our actions in this plane at this time given the complexity of them given our immense power all of a sudden there we're back open again to this vast complexity but what i have to say and what i hope i can now now move myself along to 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 putting forward is that the win lose dynamic as opposed to the omni win if that's characterized and so i suppose first you know tell me if this is a characterization you sh you share if this omni win dynamic is perhaps a um instead of sort of an an, om an omni growth dynamic then the idea of losing is perfectly acceptable insofar as that affords growth and continued participation in a unifying feature that is respected and loved as a cycle of that loving participation mm. for example so i'm a i'm a, a big football fan soccer for for you guys i support tottenham the fucking best team in the world and and this is a domain in which I'm more than happy to be motherfucking rivalrous, okay? Mm -hmm. Right. And and it's always there's always that joke there. And of course it's not always that joke for some people and then we can use that as a lens by which to understand, you know, some people's difficulty in life fundamentally. 
but there's a there's a there's something still valuable about losing and there's there's referees and it's like okay we agree that there can only be one winner but in the striving for that there is a beautiful journey created and we shake hands at the end and in some sense there's a deeper nature to the game there's a beauty to it that is the true joy for me and I think is the true joy that underlies it so I suppose I'm asking you how do you understand the omni-win dynamic and when is it appropriate to lose in some sense or how what kind of losses are important yeah I love that I love that inquiry I mean so for me I think of omni-win is this kind of like infinite game attractor that we will almost certainly like never realize, right? But it's useful insofar as it helps us engage with the world such that we start to see opportunities for transformation mm. and also get a kind of felt sense of like, oh, this is the world that we want to create together. It's totally reasonable to me that there could be like losing it, what looks like losing in the context of a, a grander winning, mm -hmm. a, a richer winning. Right? That, and that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I think this is something that was said in the new, I think it's called, the, is it the Nordic Ideology, the second book in the Listening Society trilogy, where they say like, really the one way, another way to understand it is like, we want to make the losing less bad, right? And so people, there might still be like, winners and losers like i you know that seems like reasonable at least for many many years into the future but like that losing would turn you into a social pariah where you're just put into basically a hell realm on earth mm. due to circumstances of birth or whatever you know all the ways in which our current system basically casts you out exiles you mm. from the like the kind of benefits of being a human right there's so there's something in that like we want to make the losing less bad but then yeah totally like i can imagine in like a sports context like there's this 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 um something i want to climb and i try to climb it and i lose over and over again and that's part of the journey of winning mm. right and so there is clearly mm. like developmentally mm. this sort of movement of challenge and failure and failure and failure and then like rising to the occasion. Certainly here at the monastery, which I often think about as a kind of microcosm omni-win system, right? Mm -hmm. All of us are here for the sake of our growth. There's a lot of like losing going on in the sense that you get, you get told like you did that wrong. Mm -hmm. You did not do that well enough. You lost, you, you had a goal and you did not achieve it, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know, in a way, that's a kind of losing, but it's in service of a, of a bigger winning and, and a context that we can all kind of trust in, believe in, feel a part of, mm. which I don't think can in any way, shape or form be said about the losing that goes on uh, in, our, in our operating system collectively right now. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what comes up for me. Yeah, no, I, I think that all that all makes a lot of sense. When losing does not afford or is not consistent with growing and participating in the growth and wholeness and whole making of the collective, then it's, I mean, to me, that seems like a decent first crack at a definition of the badness of losing that mm. does not serve anyone and that we do not want to see. Yeah. 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 And just to make it less vicious, mm. so vicious in the world today, so vicious. What I have witnessed in my own life is just how difficult it is to make productive movements towards betterment in any form when your key, you know, physiology is fucked, <laughs> when your nervous system is not in a good state, you know, and these baseline conditions, it does seem to be the case that people forget or perhaps never have experienced, but then forget just what it is to be in a state of less capability. And yeah, yep. This was something perhaps I did not understand as well as I do now. I don't think I was majorly blind about it. 
but you know we take a certain we, you know we have like a a minimum viable product <laughs> as a big organ and if some of those conditions aren't met then it's very very difficult to move the needle in other places and totally i agree so wholeheartedly i think um you know i've been in states of crippling like near suicidal depression before right which has given me a kind of i think a, a, a sense of what it can be like to just have we might say like a very reduced sovereignty right feeling of like very little freedom very little capacity to meet the world as it is right and it's like at least in america maybe most people maybe more than most people are like locked in a state of stress response mm -hmm. that is compromising their capacity as an organism to actually do coherent sense making to really like make good choices and, and it's like yeah that's the state of our world in which losing puts you in a position where you're subject to negative feedback loops that mm -hmm. make you harder and harder and harder. It's a downward spiral of poverty. And certainly here in America, it's a very real phenomenon and it's, it's terrifying. So what it means mm -hmm. to like not lose so bad would mean that somehow we, we break that spiral, we create a floor that people can't lose past. It's just like, mm -hmm. if, if when I say it, it feels so obvious, but it's also clearly hasn't been done. And so it's radical in a way, you know? Sure. Sure. And well, and of course, we, we could talk about incentives that people, uh, you know, are in an environment with that might affect them to re recognize this less. And it's also a capacity of awareness to attend to what about your structure, the different elements of it are or are not in a position where you yourself are mm. able to act with more sovereignty. So I suppose it takes sovereignty to recognize a lack of it as well. Um, so that we have always these both sides. And there was something that came up when you were speaking speaking there, which ties in with some of the um, memes that I think John Vivecki, amongst others, is the right figure to point to in this emerging conversation, things he's introduced. And a lot of the terms he's introduced, of course, are from other researchers and he's kind of collating them. And, and so, my apologies for not being educated enough to speak to the appropriate, you know, people who have introduced these terms, but you mentioned negative feedback loops, and this is a key thing to realize that we can get stuck in. And this is, you know, a good first approximation of addiction. Mm -hmm. John refers to it as a um, reciprocal narrowing of the capacity to attend. I've, I love that framing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really nice. Whereas self-transcendence being a reciprocal opening. So as a sense, and it is, you know, the notion of sovereignty is of course playing a role in there is this capacity again to look out, observe, sense, make, act, observe again, discern, of course. So if we're looking then at what is some kind of unifying feature of society, the collective, which enables losing, good losing to contribute, then I mean, it's, it just struck me that it, that in itself, a crucial characterization of that unifying feature needs itself to be open to its own reciprocal opening, its own transcendence. Hmm. So what in fact we participate in itself is itself open to the same kind of transformation which all of a sudden then, but to, to and the, 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 that concept is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And it, it's not an easy concept, I think, to grasp. Although I'm really terrible at telling what's easy or not easy to grasp. I'm hopeless, actually. I'm hopeless at that. And that's a major error of mine. It's almost selfish. It's like, once I understand something, I don't know, I don't understand how I understand it. And then I forget how I didn't understand, how I didn't understand it before. That's actually a particular kind of bias. I think it's like called the expert's bias or something like that. It's like a certain right. kind of cognitive fallacy. I only learned about it recently. It's fascinating because I have that same. I actually don't know how to address that apart from in dialogue with someone. In dialogue with someone, then, and you can attend it to what's. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as disseminating a message without being in touch with the people. Yeah. Clearly, I have a, not a good grasp on this. Well, also one thing I want to say is I, I, I feel very strongly like philosophically 
totally aligned and resonant with what I hear you expressing, right? Mm -hmm. That like, and there's this beautiful book called Networkologies, which is a philosophy of networks. It's not like network science. It's actually more like kind of like Deleuzean philosophy applied to networks. Mm -hmm. And what it posits as the very central function of the kind of networks that are, I mean, to put it loosely, like the networks that are going to save the world, right? Create a context of robust emergence, right? Robust mm -hmm. emergence means emergence that we trust to go on and continue, right? And just that's such a simple frame, right? Mm. But what we have right now in our, in our culture, in our world is emergence that is not robust, that is actually mm. going to decline and is in senescence. And so mm. what does it mean to create robust emergence, emergence that actually begets itself in an autopoetic mm. way mm. over and over again, creating new novelty, new opportunities for growth, new understandings of what growth even is, because we probably mm. don't even know what it is. Human mm. beings have not found the furthest reaches of what a human being can be. Mm -hmm. You know, look at what we have to overcome if we're educated in most of the, you know, public education system. You have to like first uninstall that before we can right. even get to baseline. Of like, <laughs> right. And so it's like, right. yeah, I, I think I really vibe with that sort of flavor and aesthetic of like what yeah. we're actually going right. for is that like endless creation, newness, emergence, pouring forth of the human soul back into itself in order to reflect back out into the world in this kind of like, yeah, infinite process of soul making, collective soul making. That's what it points to for me. And yeah, there's something I love about that. It's hard to see another, uh, it's, it's hard to, oh, it's, I don't know the way, it's hard to be motivated by anything else I would add another piece to it, which is that if we understand that the unfolding and evolving and that, you know, continual making as a certain kind of growth, and there's a soil, there's a ground in which that growth is embedded and is nourished from. And this gets back to this idea of something's changing slowly and something's changing quickly. So it's the mechanisms we have, in fact, to analyze, although it's not just analysis that's doing it, there's still this capacity to, to discern in this other way that's oriented by this feeling tone or how we want to say it yeah it's it's really what 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 are the plate tectonics that are supporting us now and what are the dead roots that need to change always that recursive self-reflective criticality and so we are across the we are across the past and the, and the future right like we are attendant to what is relevant in all of it somehow so it's, it's obviously not just an expansion out without attachment and love for its roots and it's what in our roots is like w what are we when we take away or when we um act from i what what do we reduce humanity down to like before what is there in our nature like i sorry i know i'm losing it here but it's this dynamic between connection and disconnection like what are we disconnected from hmm. and what do we find when we connect back to that and how ubiquitous is that source of connection or at what point <laughs> yeah well what's what's coming up for me as i hear you speak is there's a kind of um sense of you know this this kind of oscillatory or both and nature of going back and retrieving and in some cases protecting that which has brought us to this point mm -hmm. while also forward looking kind of preparing to move into totally different unknown futures. Mm -hmm. And that like, there's, I really appreciate the um, one, one of the proposed icons of the metamodern movement is Janus, the two-faced God, right? Who's mm. looking back into the past and also forward into the future and kind of being there in the present, acknowledging mm. the value in both directions and not like leaning too far forward or too far back. And yeah, it's kind mm. of finding that, that center mm. where you're not. And I think the, the, my own tendency, and I, 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 I suspect the tendency of this kind of emerging subculture is going to be leaning too far into the future, leaning too far forward, not doing the work it takes to fully understand what you think you're deconstructing and letting go of because it takes a lot of work like in the context of the buddhist tradition you know that i'm participating in here the amount of thinking and beautiful sophisticated elegant just mind-blowing thoughtfulness 
that went into the construction of this tradition that we Westerners think we can come in and be like, oh, like I wrote a hundred page book and like, this is what Buddhism is about. You know, no need for all of that, that we, we thought we needed. Like, I got it. You know, this, the, the kind of like audacity of that and the arrogance of that is really striking. And, and I think that there are, I, I imagine because Buddhism is the kind of system that I'm sort of closest with, that that's probably true for many, many, many different systems, arenas, domains, mm-hmm. disciplines that we are considering moving beyond or considering transcending and including without mm-hmm. actually doing the work mm-hmm. of knowing what it means to include that thing. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for transcending and including to become a kind of way of bypassing and ignoring something without actually getting access to the understanding and wisdom that it's pointing to, you know? That's very interesting. What struck me is the importance of dialogue and the importance of immediate participatory feedback with others in an attempt to make sense of things, right? There's something about writing that is a beautiful exercise. I love it. It's extremely important to me. I've published nothing Mm. and I've written a lot. I've published nothing. I write to myself. I try to understand things and develop my understanding. And I'm constantly faced with the inadequacy of what I see in front of me to contribute to where I feel actually most resonant to then explore and question. And I'm not trying to make a more general point here exactly other than, I mean, this is my own experience. But there's something, there is something about, there's something attractive about you know writing a book and exploring things through and taking people on a journey and and having that stuff all down there but you know we're not a life is not a closed book Mm. some things we can you know look at and go okay you know this is wrong but then there's still the participating in and that understanding of what that was and there's something hi there's so much more it feels that interaction that's why i'm so i'm so grateful for all the different people doing this out here in particular people like john viveki who engage so much with so many people and this is someone who has done has done the work to write many books oh, <laughs> you know he has yeah, of course yeah, written a bunch yeah, of things absolutely there's something he still clearly so values and realizes as important it's a key part of his message to involve yourself in the participation of of understanding yeah, I, I feel that really strongly. And, you know, as I've become more associated with the whole kind of meta space in general, whether it's meta modernism or integral, and, you know, now, now folks reach out to me that are just doing some kind of weird, crazy meta thing, not too irregularly. And they want me to look at their really abstract theory about systems and systems of systems and how they all intersect and make sense of the other systems. And it's like, for me, so much of that is useful insofar as it points you back to your life, right? Like so much of that I think is uh, masturbatory, feels that way to me. Not, not all of it. Of course, I love Mm -hmm. it. I engage in it. It's really great. Me too. But Oh man, like I think it's I think it's an example of the lack it's can be so difficult to engage in conversation about some of these things. And perhaps something we, we share is that we both started a podcast in part, I think, to have conversations, to to be right, involved right, in it. Right. right. Yeah, but, but yeah, but I think like as you say, there, this 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 word, this idea of participation for me it kind of cuts through all of the abstractions. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I think it is the central call and invitation of all of these conversations, at least that I've been having, is to be like, look, you are alive. Mm-hmm. This is your chance. What you do matters. Participate. Mm-hmm. Participate in your life. Participate in the world. Like that is it. Right? Because it. there's so many, there's so much of our system that is hell bent on making us forget that we are participants. They want us to think that we're consumers or voters, mm. or something else. We are mm. participants here on this world and we can make a sacred world or we can live in a flat world or we can live in a materialist world. We get to participate in that in any case. 
So I love, yes. I love that you say that. I think it's so central. I think John Verveke nails it in that way. Yes. Like that is it. That's the core of the core of the core of the core. Yeah, that's beautiful, Daniel. Yeah, I really appreciate your expression of that. Hmm. I recall, and I can't say this is a direct quote, just because my mind is not good at remembering direct quotes, but something John said once, the participation in the self-transcending transformation of the question. Hmm. Hmm. And to do this, to participate, of course, invokes a notion of relationship, invokes this notion of being in a collective where the participation of everyone is valued. And it's transforming, transforming what's relevant in community where the individual is valued. Mm -hmm. This is what we have to do. Mm -hmm. What I want to well, actually, that that brings us right to the that brings us right to the end here. But what I want to ask you, just in closing, just because I want to offer you the opportunity to direct people to maybe particular episodes that you've published that you think are really interesting for people to engage with. I'm conscious that the conversations I have are often assuming quite a bit of um, understanding, and that can make it, I think, difficult for people who aren't, you know, exposed to any of this stuff to necessarily be involved. And I find that some of the podcasts you've released have got some really for example and i'm just gonna say it, the daniel schmachtenberger one i think this i've recommended this to loads of people is just an excellent example of the kind of the some of the bedrock some of the important bedrock articulations of his understanding of things that inform that speak to what is emerging as resonant to discuss so what would you direct people to to in specifically your own in your own sure, podcast? sure, sure. So, so i would say um I would listen to the the episode I did with Ronan Harrington. I think that's a really good introduction to what we might call like the Nordic brand of metamodernism. And then, yeah, I would direct people to the Daniel Schmachtenberger, uh, which would be the perhaps California flavor of metamodernism. <laughs> yeah. um, and then honestly, like, because there's this other thing that we've talked about, like about soul that I don't think either of those conversations really speak to, but a conversation like with um, Baron Silver, which was earlier on in my catalog, I think would give that flavor. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful, one of my favorite conversations, uh, really beautiful. And so, yeah, that, I guess that would be what comes to mind. Beautiful. Well, Daniel, perhaps just stick around for just one minute with you know with me after this but thank you so much for showing up and and doing total, what you're doing. total pleasure i really enjoyed this exploration and uh absolutely happy to come back on again you know i wish we could talk for longer as you can see like i'm like fading into the night <laughs> <laughs> but, <you know? laughs> it's time it's time there will be time and i look forward to when that is and yeah uh, thank you whether you're watching on YouTube or listening as a podcast, remember to subscribe and hit the bell to track upcoming releases. Much love.